Good morning. Hello and welcome to the Dialogue Sunday Gospel Study this October 11th, 2020. Today with Jay Tikolvi Jackson Vaughn, uh, Jackson Van. We're just talking about names. Uh, who will be focused on 3rd Nephi, chapters 17 to 19 today. I am Chris Kimball. I'm conducting today on behalf of the Dialogue Foundation Board. Other board members, Michael Austin and Rebecca Deschweinitz, are also part of the group. We are using our webinar format on Zoom. We're running a live stream on Facebook and recording this program. We will post the recording as soon as it is available this afternoon, usually. For viewers on Zoom, there's a chat function by which you can comment, ask questions, and propose answers. We ask that you be courteous and thoughtful about the chat. The chat room is recorded. We will follow that chat room and, uh, and introduce questions and answers when appropriate. More than 50 years of dialogue content, articles, essays, poetry, art is available online at dialoguejournal.com and also at JSTOR. These Dialogue Sunday study lessons are posted at YouTube and linked at dialoguejournal.com. Making the journal and the programming available online and free means we rely on subscriptions and donations. If you are enjoying these Dialogue Sunday study, study sessions, please consider supporting Dialogue by subscription or donation. We'll put a text on the chat that uh, will, that, by which you can text in a donation or a contribution, um, and also include the dial, you can log on at dialoguejournal.com for all of the content. Today, I want to introduce, and I'm pleased to introduce, Jay Tikolvi Jackson Van as our teacher. As always, I remind listeners that dialogue encourages a variety of viewpoints, and the views expressed are always those of the individual, the individual author or speaker. We did not ask Tikolvi to represent dialogue, nor to speak for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We ask for his voice, his viewpoint, to enrich us all. Tikolvi Jackson Van is a native of, let me see if I can get it right, Milledgeville, Georgia. Born into the Pentecostal Holiness Church, he later joined El Bethel Missionary Baptist Church before being taught by missionaries and joining the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 1990. He served a full-time mission to the Michigan Lansing Mission before enrolling at Brigham Young University, where he learned a, earned a Bachelor of Science in Marriage, Family, and Human Development with an emphasis on family life education from BYU's School of Family Life. He also earned a Master of Science in Marriage and Family Therapy from Valdosta State University. Tikolvi is a former Young Men's President, Elders Quorum Presidency Counselor, Ward Mission Leader, and Temple Worker. He is a licensed marriage family therapist and certified family life educator. He considers his greatest gospel blessing to be the peace he enjoys as a happily single father of five children. He resides in Spanish Fork, Utah. Um, today, our program will proceed beginning with a, a rendition of Trey McLaughlin's Precious Jesus performed by the Deborah Bonner Unity Gospel Choir. And then our invocation will be offered by James Jones. James is one of our Dialogue Sunday study teachers with Derek Knox when they taught about Mosiah one through three. 
He is a host of the podcast Beyond the Block, a member of the Dialogue Podcast Network, a show that focuses on centering the marginalized in Mormonism. Um, thank you, James, for being with us to offer the invo invocation. Uh, we will turn now to uh, Precious Jesus. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity that we are receiving to be able to gather for Sunday school, to be able to discuss thy word, to be able to come closer to thee and to become more like thee and thy son. We thank thee for Brother Tukovi's time and his preparation and uh, bringing this lesson to us and bringing his perspective. Thankful for the gospel in our lives and for the opportunity that we have to be members of the restored Church of Christ in these latter days. We pray that we may be able to continually lead out and be trailblazers and be leaders in bringing the world as truth in many different facets of our lives. We pray that my spirit may attend us today as we receive Brother Tocolvi's words, that we may be in a better position to lead out and in a better position to become more like thee and a better position to bring the world as truth. We thank thee for all the blessings we have. We love thee very much and pray for strength. We pray for courage, pray for love, that we may truly be able to use the gospel of thy son to make the world around us a better place, to heal the divides that exist in our world, and to be able to make thy kingdom on this earth the way it needs to be. And we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Um, I want to start actually with uh, revisiting the introduction to the Book of Mormon. And there are two, two statements that I want to, to focus on. Um, as we've studied the, the Book of Mormon this year, um, there was a, a promise given, well actually two, in the, um, well, a purpose and then a, a promise. The, the purpose is this. This is that um, to the con convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself unto all nations. And I, I wanted to, to start there um, because the, the Book of Mormon has that purpose, right? To convince each of us that Jesus is the, the Christ. And then here is the, the promise later in the, in the introduction. I mean, this is after we've asked to, to been asked to, to read and ponder. Uh, we're, we're told this. Those who gain the divine witness from the Holy Ghost will also come to know by that same power that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. If there is a takeaway from my lesson today, and it is this that Jesus Christ is the savior of 
the world. I chose the opening song um, for a reason. And that is because in our gospel culture, we have um, become accustomed, I think, to one particular way of um, worship or one particular way of praise that, that doesn't always feel um, true or authentic to each person who comes into the, the gospel or who comes into the, the church. So as a, as a younger person, um, my family attended the Pentecostal Holiness Church. And then at about seven or eight, um, I joined the Missionary Baptist Church before joining the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so I will tell you very personally, um, the way the Spirit and the way the Savior communicates with me does not reflect your typical um, sacrament meeting. Um, I have a very lively re relationship with, um, with Christ. In fact, I was commenting um, be before we, we, we started, um, I spent some time this week creating an, an outline and thought that I was good. And then about two or three o'clock this morning, um, as is customary in my relationship with Christ, he gave me two options, revise or don't sleep. I chose revise, um, and you'll see why here um, soon. So as a missionary, um, very often we would highlight that the, the, the pearl of the, the Book of Mormon, <clears throat> excuse me, is the personal visitation of Jesus Christ to the American continent. And we would, we would, we would build up to this, right? You know, so you've got to get through, you know, first and second Nephi, Jacob, Enos, Jerah, Omni. You got to fast through all of, of Alma. And if you can get through Alma, then here's this prize, right? Here's third Nephi. And so to, today we're going to be focusing on the third Nephi chapters 17, 18, and 19. And here are a, a couple of questions that I want you to ponder. Um, there's five of them. The first one, um, how can I develop a personal witness of Jesus Christ. Okay, so how can I develop a personal witness of Jesus Christ? Okay. Number two, in what ways can or do I touch the symbol of his sacrifice daily? Um, so in what ways can or do I touch the symbols of his sacrifice daily. Number three, in what ways do I invite Christ to petition the Father on my behalf? So in what ways do I invite Christ to petition the Father on my behalf? Number four, how do I receive the Holy Ghost daily? So how do I receive the Holy Ghost daily? And then number five, what will I change as a result of my personal relationship with Jesus Christ? So what will I change as a result 
of my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So as I went through uh, Third Nephi uh, 17, 18, and 19, there were um, four things or four themes that stood out to me. Number one, uh, the personal testimony of Christ through prayer. Number two, sacrament as a relationship. Number three, the Holy Ghost gift to us. And then number four, the call to discipleship. So let's, let's jump into um, chapter 17. So um, as a therapist, I practice what's called narrative therapy. And the theoretical underpinnings of narrative therapy is this. Reality is created and maintained in the language that we use. And our problems are a result of our battle between the larger cultural narrative and then our own um, personal narratives. And so in narrative therapy, um, we, we tend to focus a lot on, on stories. And so if I could paint this picture of this story for you, right? So starting back in about 3rd Nephi chapter 9 or 10, right? We're, 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 we're standing around the temple and then all of a sudden there's a thunderstorm, right? And then everything is changed. So there's this, this upheaval. And then there's a quiet voice. And then we see that the Savior descend from heaven. And then he begins to teach. And I would imagine at about um, chapters 14 or 15, he's like, okay, I told y'all I was coming over. I came over. I got to go. And then all of a sudden, he's like, oh, but Jesus, we don't want you to go. And then he is, is even like having kind of, it, it looks like a really good time too. And so having, having come from the, the Pentecostal church and the uh, Baptist church, uh, when the sermon gets real good, you might have someone, you know, will shout out, um, take your time, pastor, take your time. And I feel like maybe that was kind of happening here. You know, Jesus was like, oh, I got somewhere to be. And there was somebody among the, the Nephites that were saying, you know what? Take your time, Jesus. You don't have to rush. Like, we, 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 we've been waiting for this. You know, feed, feed us with this. And so in, in, in chapter 17, um, Jesus was like, hey, you know, I, I, I kind of need to go. But then in verse 2, he says this, but I perceive that ye are weak, that ye cannot understand all my words, which I am commanded of my Father to speak unto you at this time. Therefore, go ye into your homes and ponder upon the things which I have said, and ask of the Father in my name that ye may understand and prepare your minds for the morrow, for I come unto you again. Um, so as a, as a small child, I earned the nickname Reb, which is an um, affectionate um, title for reverend or, or, or preacher. And, and one of my um, 
kind of heroes is um, Bishop uh, T.D. Jakes. And one of the things that he often says, and, and he says, you know, watch this. And, 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 and I think that's kind of what Christ was saying at the be beginning of chapter 17. He's like, you know what? <laughs> We've been having a good time and you, you've heard me, you know, teach, teach this and, and teach that, but now watch this. But before you watch this, I need you to be ready to receive. So I want you to go home. I want you to rest up because tomorrow, oh, we're going to have church tomorrow. And I'm going to need you to be ready to have church. And then what, what I love about it is when he comes back, um, or, or um, actually he hasn't even left yet. So then if, if we skip down to verse um, Five. It says, and it came to pass <clears throat> when Jesus had thus spoken, he cast his eyes round about again on the multitude and beheld they were in tears and did look steadfastly upon him as if they would ask him to tarry a little longer with them. And, and he said unto them, behold, my bowels are filled with compassion towards you. And then he does exactly what Jesus does, right? In verse 7, he asks, Have ye any that are sick among you? Bring them hither. Have ye any that are lame or blind or halt or maimed or leprous or that are withered or that are deaf or that are afflicted in any manner? Bring them hither and I will heal them for I have compassion upon you my bowels are filled with mercy. That's classic Jesus. And that is the blueprint for our current movement of ministering in the, the gospel. Was it convenient for Jesus at that moment to say, you know what? And again, I'm, I'm just going to use the, the language of my childhood, was it con, con, convenient for Jesus to say, I'm gonna have altar call right now. Um, so all those who are sick and afflicted, bring them to the altar and I'm going to heal them. One of my greatest memories in, in childhood is when we would attend church with my grandparents and at the end of the the service there would be altar call and my grandmother never really had to say anything she would just kind of look at us and so we knew it was our cue to clear the pew that we were going to go to to altar call and you would bring your your troubles you would bring your um uh afflictions and, and we, we we understand a little bit about um altar call in our faith um when we think about um the prayer circle and so here and, and in fact this 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 whole text almost reads like an endowment session where jesus teaches and then after we are taught and after we are 
um, pre prepared to um, receive of the Father's glory, then Jesus says, you know what? It's time for the prayer circle, right? And so, um, and so he, he has this, this prayer. And so um, what, I, what I find interesting here is how they describe this um, altar call or this prayer um, circle. If you go to um, verse 15, it says, when he had said these words, he himself also knelt upon the earth and behold, he prayed unto the Father and the things which he prayed cannot be written. And the multitude did bear record who heard him. And after this manner, do they bear record that I have never heard, neither hath the ear heard. I, mean, I, I have never seen, neither hath the ear heard before so great and marvelous things as we saw and heard Jesus speak unto the Father. And no tongue can speak, neither can there be written by any man neither can the hearts of men conceive so great and marvelous things as we both saw and heard Jesus speak. And no one can conceive the joy which filled our soul at the time we heard him pray for us unto the Father. And it came to pass that when Jesus had made an end of praying unto the Father, he arose, but so great was the joy of the multitude that they were overcome. And it came to pass that Jesus spake unto them and bade them arise. And they arose from the earth, and he said unto them, Blessed are ye because of your faith, and now my joy is full. And when he had said these words, he wept, and the multitude bare record of it. And he took their little children one by one and blessed them and prayed unto the Father for them. And when he had done this, he wept again. And he said unto the multitude, and he spake unto the multitude and said unto them, Behold your little ones. So what I think was interesting here is he didn't just have kind of our bless the youth of the church type prayer, but he took them into his arms one by one and blessed them. Them. And, and one of the things that I love the most about Christ is he is an individual savior. Um, quite often I would, I would hear people say, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal savior? And, and, and not just as the savior of the world, but the savior of of, of my world, of the savior of, of your world. So in the bubble that you occupy as an individual, have you centralized Christ in that bubble? Um, and so then after this, um, there was 2,000, well, there were 2,500 souls. And what I thought was interesting is he did the same thing with this 2,500 soul multitude. He didn't just say, hey, look, I am Jesus, but instead he invited them one by one to feel um, the prints of the nails in his 
hands and in his feet so that they would know very personally um, that he was Christ, right? You know, some of us, we will go to, to concerts and we'll sit on the very back wall, right? Our, our backs are touching the, the concrete and we will say, well, we've just seen such and such act in, in concert when all we really saw was shadows, right? But Jesus said, no, I'm even gonna let those in the nosebleed section come to center stage and know that they have seen me and that I am. And that's one of the things that I, I love about Christ. So then the, the, the question that I have is, how do we gain that testimony, that same testimony of Christ through prayer? And so one of the things that I, I, I thought about is, this is Jesus that we're talking about, right? This is the same Jesus that can raise the dead, the same Jesus that can restore sight to the blind, the same Jesus that can reattach an ear when Peter lost his temper. So why hasn't he healed the scars from the nail? Why, why hasn't he covered those up? And what came to my mind is often when we pray for, for healing, um, we, we pray for our scars to be um, healed up and, 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 and made new. And, and I wonder if the testimony of Christ for us or the, the, the way that, that, that we touch Christ daily is in our own um, scars. And a scar is very different from a, a, a wound. The, the wound is still bleeding, right? The, the, the wound is still open. But the scar is the evidence that the wound has been closed. Or for us, for us on a spiritual level, the, the wounds or the, the, the prints of the, the nails in his hands and in his feet are the evidence that though he was bruised, he is whole. Though he were dead, he is still alive. And so I wanna caution us not to ask so quickly for our wounds to be um, covered. But when we look at our, ourselves on a, a daily basis and we look at the things that were once wounds to, or the, that were once scars for us or wounds for us that are now um, scars, like that's evidence that we have been touched um, personally by Christ. And I know that I, as an individual, am very grateful for my scars um, because that is a, a, a tangible reminder that Christ has granted me a portion of his healing grace. So now I want to go over to um, chapter 18. Um, and in chapter 18, um, the Savior institutes the sacrament. 
Um, and so you'll, you'll, you'll have to in, indulge me for a moment um, who I am as a therapist and who I am as a believer in Christ um, on many levels have been merged. And so in, in, in therapy, one of the central themes is that of relationship, right? And so as I read through the, the institution of the, the, the sacrament, um, this idea of a relationship um, kind of stood out in this in this text um, and that in, in a very real way by instituting the sacrament um, Christ invited us into relationship with him so I want you to do a favor. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine that you were there. And out of the, out of the very depths of your soul came this unspoken plea to the Savior for more of him in your life. And I want you to listen to the words of this um, worship anthem. And then we're gonna get into the sacrament as a relationship. So I want you to just kind of listen to the words of this worship anthem. So I want you to imagine that that, that has been the plea of your heart, of your soul. And then this is the Savior's answer in chapter 18. Um, and we'll start in verse, we'll start on verse one. And it came to pass that Jesus commend his disciples that they should bring forth some bread and wine unto him. And while they were gone for bread and wine, he commanded the multitude that they should sit themselves down upon the earth. And when the disciples had come with bread and wine, he took of the bread and break and blessed it and gave unto the disciples and commanded that they should eat. And when they had eaten and were filled, he commanded that they should give unto the multitude. And when the multitude had eaten and were filled, he said unto the disciples, Behold, there shall be, there shall one be ordained among you, and to him will I give power, that he shall break bread and bless it, and give it unto the people of my church, and unto all those who shall believe and be baptized in my name. And this ye shall always observe to do, even as I have done, even as I have broken bread and blessed it and given, and given it unto you. And this ye shall do in remembrance of my body, which I have shown unto you. And it shall be a testimony unto the Father that ye do always remember me. And if ye do always remember me, ye shall have my spirit to be with you. 
And so I think that that is such a beautiful um, text there. So as we plead to the Savior, give me you, he says, here's the sacrament. And that you have an opportunity on a weekly basis to receive the sacrament. But I think we sometimes skip that, that last part of verse 7, though, when he says, and if you do always remember me, you shall have my spirit to be with you. And that's something that we can do on a daily basis without an ordinance, right? We can remember the Savior. And as we remember him, then we have his spirit to be with us. So as we see those scars and remember his healing power, then we have um, his spirit with us. So let, let's break down <clears throat> the, the sacrament though as a relationship. Like what makes relationships work? What makes them function? And um, I think the, the first thing that comes to mind is mutual commitment and respect, right? And so we see in the, in the sacrament that there is this mutual commitment, both on our part and on the Savior's part, as we make the commitment to keep his commandments, to take his name upon us, to re remember him, he makes the commitment to stand in the gap for us, to provide a for forgiveness of our sins and to make oneness with he and the Father possible for us. Also, um, communication, right, makes relationships work. And again, Christ has said, communicate with me on a daily basis and not just good morning, good evening, good night. Talk to me when you're in your car. Talk to me when you're, when you're at work and, and, you know, talk to me when you're in the classroom, you know, talk to me. Fill me in on what's going on with you so that I will know like, what, what my part is. So tell me where you are lacking so that I will know to fill in the gap. So Christ asks us to, to communicate with him. And then the, the, the way that, that, that we kind of check in and say, hey, I'm not saying I've been perfect, but I'm still trying, is that we approach sacrament meeting and the sacrament table with this yearning for um, oneness. Elder Grober um, said this, he said, if we desire to improve, which is to repent and are not under priesthood restriction, 
then in my opinion, we are worthy. I think sometimes we are, are our own worst critic. And so we ask ourselves, am I worthy to take the sacrament? And so I love what Elder Groberg says. If we desire to improve and are not under priesthood restriction, then, in my opinion, we are worthy. <clears throat> if, however, we have no desire to improve, if we have no intention of following the guidance of the Spirit, we must ask, are we worthy to partake? Are we making a mockery of the very purpose of the sacrament, which is to act as a catalyst for personal repentance and improvement? If we remember the Savior and all he has done and will do for us, we will improve our actions and thus come closer to him, which keeps us on the road to eternal life. If, however, we refuse to repent and improve, if we do not remember him and keep his commandments, then we have stopped our growth, and that is damnation to our soul. The sacrament is an intensely personal experience and we are the ones who knowingly are worthy or otherwise. As we worthily partake of the sacrament, we will sense those things we need to improve in and receive the help and determination to do so. No matter our problem, the sacrament always gives hope. Most of these problems we must work out ourselves. For example, if we're not paying our tithing, we must simply determine to start to do so. For some problems, we must see our bishop, and the spirit will let us know um, which. So that was actually taken from his um, conference talk in April of uh, 1989. But I, I love the, the, the measuring stick that he gives for are we worthy? And it's simply, am I seeking to improve and re repent? And so this re re relationship that we have through with, with Christ through the the, the sacrament um, is is one that kind of stood out um, from this text with me. And then towards kind of the the, the back end of chapter 18, um, the, the Savior then gives the authority to bestow the gift of the Holy Ghost. I love the wording of the ordinance um, in our present day church where we call an individual by name we confirm them a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then we say, and I say unto you, receive the Holy Ghost. So we don't just give the Holy Ghost, but we open the pathway for an individual to choose to receive the Holy Ghost. So why do we call it a gift? Um, Paul described the, the fruits of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, 
Um, and then he says, against such, there is no law. And so have we ever looked at the Holy Ghost as a gift to us? I often joke and say, you know, for, for, for me, the Holy Ghost sounds like my mom. The, the voice of the, the Holy Ghost is not necessarily a still small voice, but it's the voice of my mom. And I remember kind of um, telling my dad once that one of the greatest gifts he ever gave to me was choosing my mom. And, and to, to understand kind of what, where I'm going here, like my, my relationship with my mom is, is such that before the Holy Ghost ever has the opportunity to, to warn me, my mom is already on it, right? <laughs> like she, she knows, and, and, and she knows like the Savior knows the language to use with me in certain situations that both teaches me a lesson, reinforces the faith that I already have, and then creates an opportunity for me to develop greater faith. Um, one of the experiences that I, that I, that I often think about was that the, the day I went to take the national licensing exam for, for marriage and family therapy, I remember calling my mom so we can have a prayer meeting before I, I went in. And at the end of it, she says, you don't have the option to fail because this test is $295 and you don't have another $295. And I remember, you know, as, as funny as it was, what it taught me was you've been prepared and there is a sense of urgency and your faith will fill in the gap. And that's one of the, the gifts that the, the Holy Ghost gives us. And, and, and I love when we, when we talk about the, the, the Holy Ghost, um, like in John it says that it will teach us all things and then bring all things to your remembrance. So the Holy Ghost is like the, the ultimate cheat sheet, right? But here's what I learned in, in high school. Some, some teachers would allow you to make your own cheat sheet, right? They'll, they'll, they'll give you a, a three by five index cards. Whatever you can get on this card, you can take into the test with you. Now, what you choose to put on that index card, like, that's up to you. If you're smart, you'll open the book and you will write it like word from word, word for word from the, the book. But there were some, some people who, who would want to paraphrase it according to their own understanding. And they go in and yeah, they, they, they had the three by five card, but they didn't necessarily have the, the right information. But the gift of the Holy Ghost is like the ultimate like, 
open book test. And you can go into a test. I remember when the teacher taught this, but then there were some things like, oh, I must have been studying Lehi's dream during this lecture because I don't remember much. But the, the, the Holy Ghost has this way of, of like gifting us um, a, a knowledge of what has been um, said to us. So um, Elder Holland, and I'm going to kind of skip along here to chapter 19, because then I want to open it up for some, for some questions. Um, I feel like chapter 19 is our call to discipleship. So once we know the Savior for ourselves, once we enter into relationship with him through the, the uh, ordinance of the, 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 the sacrament, and then we, we choose to re receive the, the gift of the Holy Ghost, there is a call to action or a call to discipleship. And um, this is what Elder Holland said about this. And I, let me grab my um, he said, he, he, he said that, that first, the first call of discipleship is one of unity. And I think more so than ever in the times that we live in, there is a need for unity. And as members of the, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we should be at the forefront of this fight for unity. And as our battle cries, the words of the, the Savior, if ye are not one, ye are not mine. And so this is what Elder, Elder Harlan says. He says, from the Savior's language, we see clearly it is the Holy Ghost that provides such unity, a doctrinal point not so clearly communicated in the New Testament account. Furthermore, it is significant that one of the ultimate evidences God has of our belief in deity is that we are seen and heard praying. Christ notes this evidence on behalf of the Nephites to the Father he said, thou seest that they believe in me because thou heardest them. It is the key to the miraculous manifestations of heaven and the personal companionship of the Holy Comforter. And so one of the, the gifts of the Holy Ghost is it prepares us to establish unity. We are encouraged to pray for each other, to, to pray um, for our families, to, to pray for our, our leaders. It's really hard to pray for someone if you don't feel connected to them. Um, having worked in family services for a number of years, when a couple 
comes in and they're, they're having, you know, marital issues. One of the most common things that, that, that we would tell them, brother and sister so-and-so, I want you to go home tonight and I want you to do this. Brother so-and-so, tonight I want you to say the prayer out loud and I want you to call your wife by name. And then sister so-and-so, tomorrow night I want you to say the prayer out loud and call your husband by name. And it is awfully hard to stay angry with someone that you're actively praying for. But it takes an, an act of the, the, the spirit to, to be able to set aside your differences in order to, um, to, to pray for someone that you're a little bit um, annoyed with. And that's why I think it, it's important that we uh, ask ourselves, why is it that, that we are asked that if we have ill feelings towards any of our brothers and sisters as we unite in temple prayer, that we excuse ourselves from that prayer circle. And I love the language that the Spirit of the Lord might be unrestrained. So think about what that means in our families, right? If we are conducting ourselves in our families so that when we kneel in family prayer, the spirit of the Lord is unrestrained. And so perhaps the, the first call to action as a disciple of Christ is to um, create unity in our families. And as I thought about that, I thought about um, the significance of this day, October 11th. And as was mentioned before, I do not speak for the dialogue and I do not speak for the church, I speak for me. And so this is purely Brother Jackson Van on this one. For some of us today in our families, a loved one will come to us having wrestled with their souls, having wrestled to accept their truth. And they will share with us out of the vulnerability of their being, their truth on this national um, coming out day. And I wonder what it means for us as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as disciples of Jesus Christ. How will we receive our loved ones and their truths? Will we recognize that um, the, the, the wounds that they have felt, that, that they have allowed um, to become um, scars, how that will testify to us, even more so that this is a beloved son or daughter of our heavenly parents, that just as Christ um, suffered in the, the garden for our pains and our weaknesses, that he felt a little bit of the re rejection and the fear that they have lived in until this day. And that his 
atoning sacrifice in the Garden of Gethsemane makes it possible for us to open our, our hearts and our arms to them and to show them the same grace and love and compassion that we expect when we approach the throne of grace. And so in these chapters, in this visit from the Savior to the people in America, we have a story, a story of a promise that was kept that the Savior would visit the people. We have a story of a, a period of instruction where we learn about our relationship to the Savior. And then we have an invitation. Now that you know better, do better and be better. It is my testimony, it is my belief that through our Savior Jesus Christ, that we can do better, we can be better. And that through his ministry to um, the people in the uh, Americas as recorded um, specifically in third Nephi, we will come to understand that he is a very personal savior. That we can feel the, the emblems of his sacrifice in our lives on a daily basis as we acknowledge the scars in our own lives and that he will petition the Father on our behalf as we communicate with him about where our deficits are. That we can receive the Holy Ghost daily by remembering the Savior. And that the greatest change that can come into our lives as a result of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ is that we choose to change our hearts and that we choose to change how we centralize Christ into our lives. And this is my, my testimony that I leave even in the name of Jesus Christ. And in the few minutes that we have left, I do want to open up and see if there are questions before turning it back over to Christian. Can I just first say amen? <laughs> and, um, and a comment that uh, I probably should make every week, that we have a really um, wonderful group of uh, participants and attendees, and the chat room is a rich place. Uh, if you haven't paid attention to the, the comments and, and information available there, um, I recommend it. That, will, that would be true every week, but it's especially true this week. Uh, uh, Rebecca, I don't want to jump too fast. Do you have, um, I, I, I am brimming with things to ask or talk about from the, from the comments here, but, uh, but go ahead. Yeah, no? so just um, yeah. lots of lots of beautiful comments and um, observations. Um, one that I was especially struck with 
um, especially in thinking about the ways that you've um, you've linked this lesson to um, now you asked the question at the beginning, what will I change as a result of my personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Um, and then talked about today, uh, October 11th, this National Coming Out Day. Um, and I think really uh, beautifully suggested that, um, that as we come to recognize Christ as our personal savior, um, who takes on our pains, um, that we can then in turn do that for others. Um, one of the comments that was made uh, pointed out that the record bearer who's, who's kind of compiling and recording this incident um, gets so caught up in the experience um, with Christ uh, and the people uh, coming to him uh, and being invited to come to him individually that the record bearer goes into uh, switches to the first person <laughs> and, and, it, and they're not just talking about they are doing this. They're talking about, you know, me uh, and I, um, and I'm struck by uh, that. This is kind of the message of unity that, that you're thinking of that can come from developing this kind of personal relationship with the savior that, that we're not just watching um, others, but that we become a witness to Christ's love um, for them. And then we get caught up in, in their experience um, and make it our own. Uh, so I don't know if you want to say something more about that. It was, um, you know, really beautiful observations that a number of uh, attendees are making about that. And that's interesting. I don't, I don't know that I, that I caught that, that change in, in tense. But you know, I, I think it, it, it happens. And I think that, that's the, the, the point is for us to come in from the outside so that the, this story is not necessarily about Christ's visit with the Nephites. And it really does be, become about Christ visiting us. And so it almost starts to read like a journal entry rather than um, scriptural text. I, I, I pick up a couple of comments that I thought were uh, telling. Um, one, one has to do with the, with the, universal nature, the feeling of uh, Christ coming to those particular people, but those particular people being a, a large enough group and a varied enough group that it feels like it's Christ coming to all. And um, then you turn it into a call for us to likewise accept and understand and um, listen to all as opposed to what um, selecting out the the right people or the worthy people or the righteous people i that's a that's a theme we heard and i uh and i thought it was rich and would like to draw you out a little bit more on that yeah, um, hmm. so I feel 
especially with the Book of Mormon, and I guess with, with any um, set of scripture, if we're simply reading it to read it, it really just becomes um, like, like any other um, historical text. But when we read it um, to, to gain some sense of, well, what am I supposed to do about it? You know, it, 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 it reads differently because if we're, if we're just going to read it to, to, to read the, the, the history of it, we could just read the Book of Mormon one time and then it's done. But we're often asked to, to come back and read and reread. And each time, I think, what, what should I do about it um, changes. And so it's really kind of com coming back, getting our marching orders, and then going forward until the next time that we're invited to come back and read the, the text. If we look at kind of deeper in, 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 into the Book of Mormon, um, Nephi and Lehi, you know, don't just look at the Leahona one time and go, okay, this is what, this is what we got to do. But they had to keep coming back. They had to keep looking at those messages and interpreting those messages according to their faith. And so as our circumstances change, the message of the Book of Mormon changes for us. The way I read the Book of Mormon as a father is much different than the way I read the Book of Mormon as a missionary. Or even the, the way I, you know, read or have read the Book of Mormon as a therapist is much different than the way I read the Book of Mormon as a seminary student. I mean, this time my eyes are open, so I can actually, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know it, it reads much different than it does as a teenager in, in early morning seminary, you know, when you're struggling in the middle of the night and peace comes from nowhere else, and then you open up the Book of Mormon and all of a sudden, like, there's this answer. So, I, let me just reflect for myself personally the idea of a scar. Uh, reading as a seminary student, 16 years old, I didn't, I don't think I thought I had any scars or anything to react to. Um, mm -hmm. Many years later, I know what a scar is and it makes a difference. It makes a difference in how I hear and how I read that, that section. You made a couple of comments that people have re reacted to that um, that reflect a maternal sense of um, both, as one commenter said, the idea of compassion. The word and the and the concept is a very maternal kind of image and even a root in the in the language of of, of Christ's compassion for for his people for us. Um, you also refer to the Holy Ghost as like the voice of your mother. Um, that that maternal image is is a powerful one, and uh, you've you've shared that with us. I 
draw that out again. Um, yeah. So here, here, my, my feeling is this. We cannot really testimony of Christ and not come to also believe in Heavenly Mother. Like, and, and, I, and, I'm not, and, and this is not a, a knock on Heavenly Father, but you have to know that a lot of what makes Christ Christ came from Heavenly Mother. You, you have to know that a lot of his nurturing, a, a lot of his approach to ministry um, is, is the direct influence of Heavenly Mother. And you, you, you see it, and especially in how he interacts with children. Like you, you, you see that and you know he learned that by watching Heavenly Mother with his own eyes. And so we, we may not speak of her often, but we see glimpses of her frequently as we watch the Savior minister among his brothers and sisters. Thank you. Um, Rebecca, I don't want to cut you off. Uh, yeah, so I your last comment was the one that I've been especially I, ruminating about. Um, but I've also been thinking, as I think a number of us have, and I've really appreciated um, the music that you chose for the lesson today, um, and the ways that you've highlighted um, and brought in your own personal background and experience and gotten us to think about uh, this idea of gospel culture <laughs> um, <laughs> that was raised last week in general conference um, and, and kind of the idea of being able to bring out these other authentic experiences um, and uh, kind of ways of expressing um, a gospel a culture. Um, so, so maybe if you want to say a little bit more about uh, what you've been thinking about, especially in the context of some of the comments that were made at conference last week. Um, I know I certainly appreciated um, the, the more lively uh, kind of introduction of the spirit this week. And so I, I've, I've been thinking about the example of my stake president, um, Sean, Sean Dixon, here in the uh, Spanish Fork East uh, stake. Uh, we had state conference of sorts uh, a couple of weeks ago, and um, President Dixon asked if I would do a um, special musical number. And the music that he asked for was not from the, the hymn book. It was one that he'd heard me sing in sacrament meeting almost a year ago, and it was a Negro spiritual. And he and I talked about it before and just a little bit um, afterwards. But there, 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 there tends to be in, in church culture this understanding that there is one way to worship and one way to invite the spirit. And this is not to say that I don't love the hymns, because there are some very 
beautiful hymns, but the the hymns of the the church are not written in my um, natural spiritual language, and and I think that that could be true for many people, and if we describe Heavenly Father as this loving, compassionate Father, then we would understand that He would choose to speak to us in our natural language, in our native tongue. Um, the, the, the hymns of the church are not my native spiritual tongue. And I, I, I kind of parallel that. So um, my my children grew up in, in a home where um, languages other than English were, were spoken. And my youngest son, um, if you attempt to discipline him in, in, in English, he becomes hard of hearing. If you discipline him in Creole, he hears everything and acts quickly. And so we learned that sometimes he would go to school and he would kind of act out and the teacher would tell us that. And so we would send just, just a small list of Creole words spelled out so the teacher would say them correctly. And so the teacher knew if, if, if he was bouncing off the wall and he was not listening, if you say this, 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 and this, he's going to, you know, snap too. And I think of a very similar things happen spiritually. Heavenly Father knows that if he needs to get my, my, my focus or whatever, a general conference talk, probably we won't do it. Um, we're not Motab or the tap, tap, tap cats. Is that what we are? Tap cats greatest hits, probably won't do it. But if you wake me up in the middle of the night and you put me on YouTube with a T.D. Jake sermon and a, and a Kirk Franklin song, Lord, I am laser focused because like that is my natural spiritual language. And I think as, even as we encourage missionaries who come home to keep up on their mission language, I think we also need to in encourage our, our brothers and sisters who come home to the restored Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to also keep up on their um, native spiritual language. Thank you. Amen. This wonderful conversation and that beautiful lesson that has moved us um, and has moved many people have commented, I have to go think about this, which is perhaps the greatest compliment you could get from a, as a teacher. Well, thank you. Um, and thank you for, for the opportunity. Thank you. I'd, I'd like to call us to, uh, to a close. We'll, we'll have a benediction, a closing prayer from Emily Jensen. So that I don't forget, I'm going to say a word about next week, um, and then and then a word about Emily. Um, next week, 
October 18th. Our teacher will be Tom Christofferson. Tom Christofferson spent his career in investment management and asset servicing, but in LDS circles, he is probably best known for his book, That We May Be One, A Gay Mormon's Perspective on Faith and Family, published in 2017. Interesting combination of uh, title with things we've talked about today. I look forward to hearing from Tom Christofferson next week. Um, as a closing prayer, we've uh, invited Emily Jensen to join us. Emily, everybody should know Emily. Emily is the business manager for Dialogue. She keeps Dialogue humming. She gets the journal out and is involved in interesting conversations on the online. Emily is a mom, a skier, reader, writer, and learner. And she especially wants to promote this program. She wishes the entire church would listen to these Dialogue Sunday School or Sunday study lessons. And she's going to keep sharing them until hopefully everybody hears them. Um, Emily? Our Father, which art in heaven, we thank thee for this inspiring and wonderful opportunity that we've had to listen to this, this beautiful lesson. Father, we ask thee to please bless us all to take to heart the things that we have learned, that we may promote thy son's grace in the lives of all those around us. Father, we ask thee to please bless those who are sad or scared or sick at this time. Please help us to help those with any of the things that they need. Father, on this day of coming out, we ask thee to please bless those who may come out or who choose not to come out, that they may find love and acceptance from those around them. Father, we ask you to please bless the rest of us who can be loving and accepting to do so in the example of thy son. Father, we love thee so very much, and for these opportunities, we thank thee. Please help us to continue to have a beautiful Sabbath, and we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.